Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. My friends, there is genius in all of us. And today is about the groundbreaking discovery of why, in fact, we are all geniuses and how to manifest that or how to bring that to the forefront of your own life. Because first and foremost, Jesus was, in fact, a genius. And my guest today is none other than Erwin Raphael McManus, who has committed his life to the study of genius and the pursuit of God. Erwin has committed his life to studying uh, genius and the pursuit of God, never knowing what the two worlds would one day, or not knowing that the two worlds would one day collide. He is an iron-class entrepreneur, storyteller, fashion designer, filmmaker, and cultural thought leader whose singulary intention is to violate our view of reality, believe it or not. Uh Erwin is the founder of Mosaic Church. A, it's a church movement based in the heart of Hollywood with a community that spans the globe and is the acclaimed author of The Way of the Warrior, The Last Arrow, and other leading books on spirituality and creativity. And today, like I mentioned, we're going to talk about his latest book, which uh, it came out last year. It's called The Genius of Jesus, The Man Who Changed Everything. It's a groundbreaking manifesto decoding the phenomenon of genius through the life of Jesus of Nazareth, revealing the untapped potential with every human being from the best-selling author of The Artisan Soul, The Last Arrow, and The Way of the Warrior, as I mentioned, Erwin McManus. And for those of you that uh, don't know who Erwin is, as I mentioned, he's dedicated his entire life to this. He's a founder and lead pastor of Mosaic, uh, which is a massive, massive church organization and movement in, in the States and across the world. So if you don't know who he is, I think that you guys are going to get to know quite a bit about him 
in this conversation. And I'm so excited to bring uh, Erwin's story to the forefront for you guys to actually listen to and obviously his wisdom and the advice that comes from it uh, as well. So do, do yourself a favor and if you want to learn more about the genius of Jesus and how to bring out your own sense of genius as well, then go and get a copy of his book. Links for that will be in the show notes below too. Also, my very first book is coming out in just a few days' time, which is honestly incredible. And I thank each and every one of you that has already pre-ordered a copy. But if you haven't, then now is the opportunity to do that. The more people that pre-order a copy, the lower in price it actually gets. And there's a a, a price guarantee. Uh, if you pre-order early and the more people that do pre-order, the price goes lower, which is fantastic, especially on Amazon. So if you are in the US, Australia, Canada, or abroad, you, if you're listening to this and you want to get a copy of the book, I highly encourage you guys to do that. Links for that will be in the show notes below too. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It's time to journey with me into this story box as we learn more about the genius in all of us, as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Erwin Raphael McManus. It's good to be with you and uh, getting to talk all the way to Australia. I love uh I, I love Sydney. I, I mean, I'm, well, actually, I love the entire continent. I mean, I love I, I love Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, Gold Coast. I don't think I've ever been to a place in Australia that wasn't breathtaking. Well, we'll adopt you. How about that? So it's it's <laughs> you, you can be uh, anyway. It, it's great to have you here, uh, Irwin. And like I mentioned before, uh, your messages have helped me in the past and even in the present too, and your work, your books as well. I didn't mention in, in the introduction, you're a best-selling author, The Way of the Warrior, all those amazing books that you have, have written for the world. So the very first question that I have for you before we dive into your backstory and all your work that you've done and your new book is what does success look like for you? You know, strange enough, I never really think about success. Mm. And uh, so I, I don't really have a concrete image of what success looks like. I, um, I, I just love process. I just love work. I love creating. And if, if I achieved ultimate success, I would be completely unsatisfied. I would still get up tomorrow and try to create something and do something new. I would choose a different arena. And so fortunately, I have not achieved that level of success where I still don't have something to do. Um, but I've never, I've never had an actualized idea of what success would look like for me. Um, mm -hmm. I just love to create and, um, and that for me feels incredibly successful. Have you always been that way in terms of loving to create, loving to work, loving to do all these amazing things? No, <laughs> <laughs> no. When I was, uh, uh, 19 and, um, out of high school, but didn't go to college. Uh, I kind of hated work. I mean, you know, I worked construction. I worked as a lumberjack. I worked as a carpenter. I uh, I worked flipping burgers. I worked making pizzas. Um, I mean, I just went from job to job to job and pretty much hated the uh, mundane nature of life. And you know, when you're flipping a thousand burgers. You're, you're, you're thinking to yourself, is this all there is to life, right? You know, yeah. and when you're digging ditches and working construction sites and, and you're, 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 you know, I'm, I'm in my brain going, so is this all there is? 
And so um, I can't say I've always loved work, but I have always loved creating. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, when I was probably 15, I started my my first uh, business and, um, you know, named the company, bought equipment and and actually learned that design would make me more money when I was young. And I had a landscaping business with my brother and a friend and and we would mow lawns at, at corporations and different places. And I would find wherever there was uh, rock and sand and I would design uh, patterns with the sand and I would design things with the rocks and and I would create these uh, landscaping um, architectural kind of um, experiences. And I would get more I, I would get paid more for the unexpected creative designs than we would for mowing the entire or landscaping the entire lawn. So I learned at a really early age that creativity adds value to everything. Yeah, very true. I, and I, I grew up my very, one of my very first jobs was actually flipping burgers and doing the fries, believe it or not at McDonald's. And I hated it. <laughs> but it, I was like, is this it? Is this like what the rest of my life is going to be like, but no, it, it's, um, I appreciate you sharing those stories. And, and did you ever think oh, in, in a split second in your life, did you ever think that you would be a pastor? Do you ever think you'd be a best-selling author? You're a filmmaker as well. You're also into fashion. You got some great things. Did you ever think that you'd be anywhere close to this? No. And I, I didn't even have a, um, a space to think this way. I, you know, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up a follower of Christ. I came to Jesus right when I was 20 years old. Uh, so I, of course, I never had an, an uh, image of being a pastor because I never went to church and it wasn't a part of my my life experience. Uh, and 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 I and the world was very small to me. I, I I didn't I didn't even know how it was possible to do anything that was meaningful, anything that I imagined. And 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 I and so I think that what happened as I lived my life and followed Christ and walked with Him my own imagination began to expand. The, the, the way I understood the world began to expand. The endless possibilities of what my life could become began to grow. And uh, I wish I understood at 20 or 25 how wide open the future was for me and how um, I could create a future that I could never imagine um, because I, I didn't think that way then. I was still just trying to uh, figure life out. Yeah. If you were to go back to say my age, 25 and give yourself one piece of advice, what would you give yourself? Well, I, I think that my life expanded the more I explored. And so I just began traveling all over the country, uh, experiencing new experiences. And then I began traveling across the world. And the more I, I touched other cultures, the more, more I touched other places in the world, uh, the more textures there was to who I was. So what I would say to someone your age is experience as much of the world as you possibly can so that you can grow as a human being. Mm, that's very true. I need to experience life a little bit more. I need to get out <laughs> a little bit more. Um, and, and you have this, I want to get into your brand new book because I feel like it is a very fascinating topic and you've committed your life to studying the genius of Jesus and I want to give my audience a little bit of context first. Um, you mentioned that you didn't grow up in a Christian home or anything remotely like that. Can you share when was the moment that you committed your your life and put your trust and faith in Jesus? Um, yeah, I was in college 
And um, I, it was actually the week I turned 20 where I kind of, I was processing all this new information about who Jesus was. And uh, my whole family came to faith one by one. My mom, then one of my sisters, then my brother who was an atheist who was a little bit older than me, and then my sister, other sister. And uh, so one by one, they all came to faith. And I thought they were out of their minds, you know, and uh, uh, my brother, who was an atheist, was suddenly reading the Bible. And I felt that it was so hypocritical that an atheist was reading the Bible. And and next thing I know, they're going to church. And I it felt a little bit cult like for me. And 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 yet when I would it would drag me there, um, I, I would have amazing experiences. And I, I was deeply touched by the messages. And uh, it was really affected by the sincerity authenticity and beauty of the people. They were just incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe it was so good that I didn't grow up in church because I hear so many people have such negative experiences growing up in church. I was a blank slate. All I had was a positive experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, everything about the people to me were, was pretty amazing, which of course made me more open to the message of Jesus. And uh, so it, it was, I mean, I still remember it was August 20th, 1978, when I finally made a decision that if Jesus was real, I didn't really have all the information. I didn't, I didn't have data. You know, I didn't do a comprehensive study of the Bible or of you know, um, or even of who Jesus was in the Gospels. I'd never seen a Bible really in my life. Mm-hmm. It was genuinely a more um, personal kind of leap of of faith of going, God, if you're out there in Jesus, if you're real, I'm in. And that's how the whole journey began for me. Mm. So when in your life, when you least expected God to show up in a big way that he did, and it challenged your perspective of who he is. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure. Well, that would, maybe if you can ask the question again, were you saying when in my life did God show up in a big way? Yeah. When in your life that you least expected God to show up in a big way that he did and it challenged your perspective of who he is. Yeah, I would say that having met Jesus in that way at the age of 20, I I would not have had a time after that where I didn't expect God to show up in a big way. Mm. And I think for me, there was a, a radical shift in my posture. I always expected God to show up in a big way. And and I have not been disappointed. You know, now I've been a follower of Christ for, you know, 43 years. And, you know, and, and, and I, I, I look at my life and to me, it's unexpected and, and unexplainable. And, um, and I don't think I've ever had a moment where I thought, you know, God, why are you letting me down? And, uh, you know, nor have I had a moment going, I don't think God can show up. Um, I think the longer you live in a relationship with God, even when things don't go well, you just know that the one thing you don't actually doubt is God's goodness. You might you might doubt how your life is going to play out. You might doubt whether you're going to succeed or fail. You might doubt yourself. Um, but um, but I've, I've just never had those moments where I where I, where I thought God's not going to show up, and then He does. I, I think that my posture in life has been: I know God always wants more for me than I want, and He's um, he's more capable of stepping into my life and uh, producing a beautiful future than I could ever imagine. So I'm just really grateful, you know, for the life I've lived and 
And, um, and I know if God never did anything else in my life, um, it's, I, it's, there's been enough to be grateful for all fraternity. And I, I myself, I'm grateful for the life that God has given you because you are giving back to many, many people, including myself, all the way here in Sydney, Australia. So thank you so much for continuing on the path and, and living um, for Christ. I, I want to sort of dive into the genius of Jesus for a second and, and ask you, where did you discover or get your interest more or less in the genius of Jesus in the first place? Uh, well, I mean, there were maybe two different journeys. I've spent my life studying human creativity, human imagination, human potential, human genius. And I've, uh, as long as I can remember, I've been fascinated with the phenomenon of human genius. And, and even now, when I go back and I listen to some of uh, my messages or read some of my writings, I realize that the theme of human genius has always been a part of my life story. And, and some of it is even from my own childhood and uh, come from a, a somewhat eccentric uh, family and um, and background and uh, and saw genius early on in my grandfather and in my brother and uh, my 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 biological father spoke at least a dozen languages. My mom speaks multiple languages, and so I, I was always around um, people who expressed aspects of the phenomenon of genius. And uh, but I always felt so broken, and I always felt that. I was somehow overlooked in the process, and I and uh, and I was a straight D student in first through twelfth grade, and um, ended up in a psychiatric chair by the time I was like twelve years old. So I looked like I was, um, yeah, the black sheep of uh, you know, in, in, a, in a flock of extraordinary uh, people, and and so I, I studied genius for decades, and always noticed that Jesus was never on a single list of geniuses, and that always struck me. And so even when I moved to Los Angeles, um, you know, around 30, 34, no, 30 years ago, I, um, I, I was studying Leonardo da Vinci. I would try to emulate a lot of his processes. I would try to understand the process that geniuses used to actually move toward their genius. And I would try to absorb and incorporate as much of that process in my own life. And, and so, you know, I would learn that Da Vinci, you know, would write with his left hand or do things with his left hand. So even when I was young, I would work really hard to be ambidextrous. I would, you know, make sure I could throw a football with my left hand and my right hand or play ping pong with my left hand and right hand. I would, I would try to do things as much as possible to increase the, uh, the mental acuity and uh, flexibility that I had. And, and then, as I would read Jesus, I would be struck with this omission of him in history as a genius. And I began to ask the question, well, does Jesus actually qualify mm -hmm. as a historical genius? And if you remove all the divinity, if you remove all the, uh, the miraculous and all you have left is the humanity of Jesus, do we have enough information about Jesus to actually assess whether he was a genius? And if he was a genius, what was his genius? And, and mm -hmm. if he did have a, a distinct genius, why has that genius been overlooked? And I felt like these questions were really important. And one thing that struck me is in 2000 years of literature about Jesus and of, you know, theology from the scriptures, no one has ever addressed the historical genius of Jesus in any way. And so I felt like this was an important conversation to have. And I wanted to make sure I was able to write about it before I, I left this earth. And um, 
And so it was a convergence of the study of genius and the pursuit of Jesus that kind of erupted and um, resulted in this book. So in your searchings or findings, um, why was it that not many people considered Jesus to be a genius? Um, yeah, um, I think there's a really clear reason. It's that genius is um, expressed in a particular domain. Yeah. And, and so it's not so much that you look at a person and think, oh, they are a genius. First, you realize they have a genius. And then you realize, oh, oh then they are a genius. And, and so you look at Picasso's art, and that's how you know Picasso's genius. And you look at, you listen to Mozart's compositions, and that's how you know Mozart is a genius. You look at Bobby Fischer's uh, moves on a chessboard, and that's how you know Bobby Fischer is a genius. You you uh, you listen to Einstein's work on physics and mathematics, and and E equals M C squared, which gives you a window into the genius of Einstein. And so every genius has to have a canvas; they have to have a domain, so that, that genius can be actualized, can be actually seen or experienced. And 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 so you 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 look at the Mona Lisa, and you realize there's genius behind the Mona Lisa, even if you've never met Da Vinci. But the problem with Jesus is that he wasn't a musician and he wasn't a mathematician and he wasn't an artist and he wasn't a composer and he wasn't um, a scientist. And so then you're going and he never wrote any novels. You don't you cannot read his poetry. Right? So so where is the domain of Jesus's genius? And and what I think is fascinating is that the domain of Jesus's genius is the human spirit. Yeah. And so where you see the genius of Jesus played out is how people's lives are changed by his life or the ideas of Jesus 2000 years later. Mm -hmm. And so the canvas of Jesus's genius is us. And that's why it's so easy to miss it. Mm -hmm. And but it's also why it's so essential. Mm -hmm. And and I think the other thing is that genius is never transferable. And so you can spend your life with geniuses and never become a genius. You can spend your life with, you know, with Hawking's and never understand physics, you know, and never understand the theory of everything. You can, you know, you, you can, you could spend your life with, you know, um, you know, Madame Curie, or you could spend your life with, um, with, you know, um, Harriet Tubman and, and never have their genius pass on to you. Mm -hmm. But Jesus's genius is transferable. And it's what makes it rare and makes it exceptional that somehow the genius of Jesus actually transfers and is still transferring 2000 years later. People mm -hmm. are becoming more human when they allow Jesus to transform the essence of who they are. Yeah. And you think about the genius of salvation as well. That's where my mind goes to. I mean, no one else in history could do that. So that, that's like the canvas of all canvases because <laughs> it allows us to live for all eternity. And my, that's my opinion and the way I see it and just how God lived on this earth. That's in of itself. It's remarkable, but it's also shows me that uh, he was a genius. I mean, even if you don't class him as that for me, he was. Um, and I wanted to ask, can everyone on this earth become a genius? Um, yes and no. Yeah. You know, when you when you go to the Nike store, they have a big quote that says, if you have a body, you're an athlete. And <laughs> my answer there is yes and no. <laughs> you know? And uh, if you have a body, you, will, you may never be an Olympian. Right. <laughs> you know, and and you may never even be that athletic, but you can become a more physically 
athletic human being and you can optimize your own capacity. And so if you have a body, you can move it. If you have a body, you can become healthier and stronger, but there's a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was in another sports um, gym in Miami and on the wall, it said, if it's humanly possible, I can do it. And I read that, I go, I wish that were true, but if it's humanly possible, a human can do it, but it doesn't mean I can do it. <laughs> and, and so the reality is that there are so many things that no matter how hard you tried or how much energy or effort you gave it, you would never excel in that area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't agree with Disney when Walt Disney says, if you can dream it, you can do it. Uh, I think if you can do everything you dream, you have a very limited imagination. <laughs> there, there are a lot of things I can dream that I can't do. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm not saying is that, oh, you read this book, apply what Jesus teaches, and suddenly you're going to become Einstein or Steve Jobs or Elon Musk. And I wish that were true and uh, that you could think like Elon Musk or think like Steve Jobs or create like them. But what I am saying is that the most important aspect of genius is transferable, and that's how to become most fully human. And that there is, in that sense, the um, potential of genius in everyone because you're created in the image of God. So mm-hmm. I, I I don't think that everyone is a genius. I think everyone has a genius. Mm-hmm. And the question isn't, am I a genius? The, the question is, where does my genius lie? Where, do, where can I express that genius within me in a unique way in the world? Yeah, you go into the book and you talk about the genius of empathy, the genius of the beautiful, mm-hmm. genius of good. You have eight chapters. I mean, it's a pretty easy book to read. It's not hard. And I love short but powerful books and this is one of them so thank you for doing that <laughs> um yeah, You're welcome. Uh, why why empathy in particular is in fact related to genius yeah in, in chapter three which is really the first of like the six strokes of genius in the book um i kind of make an argument that um the highest form of intelligence is empathy and uh, you know, I work a lot with business leaders. I work a lot with um, this group of people where everyone's company has to make a hundred million a year and and they pay a hundred thousand dollars just to be a part of this group. And I go in and I and I, I speak and kind of invest in some of these guys' lives. And and one of the things I told them is that the dumbest decisions you will ever make will not cost you money. They will cost you people. Mm-hmm. And and the great challenge, because why would someone who maybe has already made a billion dollars, why do they need the genius of Jesus? And so, look, in the most practical level, the simplest level of genius here is that if you can adapt the genius of Jesus, you will not die alone. Yeah. And one of the, I think, odd things in life is that you can be so brilliant that you can create a multi-billion dollar company. You can be so brilliant that you can buy airplanes and houses left and right and yet be so foolish and so dumb, so stupid that you don't know how to keep a healthy marriage, how to have, how to raise kids that love you and how to have deep and meaningful friendships in your life. And so you're brilliant in one aspect and then you don't even have enough intelligence to not die alone. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why for me, the, even the chapter on empathy is so important because if you can grow in the genius of empathy, you can actually learn how to put people first and deal with the most important commodity uh, in the universe, which is human relationships. And is empathy, is is that something that someone is born with or is that something you're taught? I think it's both. I think that all of us are born with the capacity for empathy, but like other muscles, that muscle can atrophy or that muscle can actually be developed. And 
And I, I think for, um, I mean, I, I guess when you look at like a high narcissistic personality disorder or sociopathic behavior, by definition, those people have no empathy. Yeah. So you can have an expression of humanity without empathy, but it's uh, it's not it's neither normative nor nor healthy, and it's a, it's an expression of a broken aspect of of being human. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I think that humans are intrinsically naturally born with empathy, just like um, a human being can be born blind mm-hmm. or deaf. But it doesn't mean that naturally humans are supposed to be blind or deaf. It it means that, you know, something um, didn't develop in the way that ideally we hope a human being would develop. And but it's interesting, a person who's blind can actually develop such an extraordinary sight that compensates for that blindness. And uh, a person who's deaf can actually develop such extraordinary senses that it compensates for their inability to hear sound. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, you know, you may have been damaged or, or, or something may have happened early on in the development of a process where you lack empathy or empathy never was developed. And, and so you're, you're, you're tone deaf uh, to um, the emotional needs and realities of what's going on around you. But you can, I'm convinced you can actually develop senses that allow that empathy to be developed that can compensate for what you lost early on. In your life, uh, and I want to ask you, have you, is there a story where you failed to be empathetic and how did, what happened when you failed to be empathetic? And that's, oh, I mean, that's the story of marriage. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> Uh, and I, I think the dilemma for me is I, I have a lot of people I know that when they do something that is insensitive, it's because they were blind or they were unaware of it. Yeah. And I don't really have that luxury. I'm, I'm actually incredibly aware. So when I do something that lacks empathy, it's because I'm impatient and uh, or or insensitive. Yeah. Um, and I didn't make the choice I knew I should have made. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think it's worse for me, you, you know, than for someone who doesn't even cannot perceive what, what they just said did to a person or what they just did, how it affected that person. And, uh, and, 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 you know, and so I have to be super aware of it and it's true in relationship to my wife. And, and sometimes like, you know, like when Kim's going through a crisis, um, I may move into like my strategic thinking mode and think she wants me to solve the crisis. And, and, and I have to remind myself, she doesn't want me to solve the problem. She just wants me to listen and to, you know, and to empathize. She just wants me to be there for her and to bring comfort. And I, th- I think nine out of 10 times in my relationship to my wife, that's where whenever I miss the empathetic frequency, is I'm trying to move too fast to solving the problem rather than just sitting in the moment. I guess that's where grace sort of comes in and, <laughs> and forgiveness too, <laughs> when we miss the mark and we miss the mark all the time. So are you able to help my audience understand the concept? I know it's a pretty big concept, but why grace in the first place is considered to be something that is genius? Yeah. Again, I'm not really looking at these strokes of genius from a theological perspective. Yeah. I'm looking at them from a broadly human perspective. And um, 
for years, I've, I've wondered about the psychological experience of forgiveness. Uh, because when I look at other species, I do not see the experience of forgiveness. And, you know, I, wolves don't ask for forgiveness. They don't forgive and they don't give forgiveness. They, you, you know, I, I don't think forgiveness is a part of like the, the experiential dynamic for grizzly bears or for salmon or, you know, I think the whole dynamic of forgiveness is a uniquely human experience. Mm. And, and so some of it was even just my own internal like journey going, like, what is it psychologically where I need to forgive? I need to be forgiven. I need to ask for forgiveness. What, what, what's happening inside me when I'm experiencing forgiveness? Because it's inescapable that something visceral happens when you're forgiven and you desperately long for forgiveness. And, and one of the things I, for me, that I've all my life have seen that distinguishes Jesus from other world religions is that in every world religion and pretty much every like theological or philosophical construct, um, we have to earn whatever we long for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so even in Buddhism, you're going through endless reincarnation, endless cycles, reincarnation. So you can eventually move to nothingness. And, you know, whether it's Catholicism or Christianity, you're having to work and work and work for forgiveness. You're doing penance. And, you know, you have Martin Luther, you know, going upstairs trying to achieve God's forgiveness. And, you know, whether, you know, whether it's Hinduism or, or, or Islam and, and you're, you're, you're having to do things to get God's acceptance, God's forgiveness. And, and then with Jesus, you have this complete reversal where every religion is what you need to do to get to God. And, and then Jesus, his entire narrative is what God did to get to you. And, uh, and you, it basically flips all religion upside down where you have this concept of grace, which is a terrible idea if you're trying to control humanity. Right. You know, I mean, you know, when, when, when you lay out this concept of grace that I accept you unconditionally, yeah. like I, I, I love you uh, and you don't deserve it. And so you can't undeserve it. Uh, I mean, the reason that never caught on with, with even Christianity, let's be honest, like Catholicism and Christianity is the two major expressions of of modern, you know, the modern movement of Jesus um, aren't really fond of grace you know, because. Um, you can't control people when you have grace. You, you know, manipulating people through guilt and shame is religion's best move. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's you know, it's like Steph Curry has a three pointer. Mm. You know, religion, its go to move is guilt and shame. Yeah. And and if you lose the power of guilt and shame, if you say to someone who condemns you, no one, neither do I. Now go and sin no more. What should motivate that person to go and sin no more if mm. they've already? been free of condemnation and are living in grace. Only Jesus has so much confidence in the power of love that he believes love can change a person. Yeah. And that you don't have to use any kind of coercion through guilt or shame at all. Mm. It's a brilliant concept. I mean, it's, it's a stroke of genius. hundred percent. It is. It's so for me, when I, I can't wrap my mind around it, like that's just the God honest truth. I can't, even though I try my absolute best, but that's where the idea of trust and faith comes into play. I think you just trust that it's, it works. And I've seen it actually working in my life many, many times. 
And I love that story of um, how the woman is brought, who was committing the act of adultery, brought before Christ. And I've heard you speak about that many times. And it's just a, it's a poetic and a beautiful picture of God's love and God's forgiveness on we, no matter what we do, he still forgives us. And yeah, it's just a, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of his love and, and grace for us. And what I want to ask you uh, a couple more questions for you. And if you don't mind, how do we know for a fact, I believe that people oftentimes have this issue with unbelief. How do we know that all this is true in the first place? You don't. <laughs> mm. No one likes that answer, you, yeah. you know, and um, not knowing it, because you're asking the question usually from a, an empirical scientific um, posture. Evidence but what we have to realize yeah. is that knowing is far more textured than data. Yeah. And because I know that two plus two equals four. I also know that this microphone is the color black. Mm. And I also know that my wife, Kim, loves me. But they're not the same kind of knowing. And in fact, I also know when I say something that hurts her. Mm. But, there, but that's different than knowing two plus two equals four. It's different than seeing the color black. And, and, and then we think we know things, right? We we think we know that it's black, but we realize later that colors are simply an expression of frequencies of light. And that it's really just the way our brain interprets the different frequencies. So do you really know it's black or are you perceiving frequencies that you're completely unaware of because unconsciously you're designed to perceive things that you interpret a different way consciously? And I'm going, how do I know my wife loves me? Because you, I can't prove that empirically. In fact, I probably could put together enough evidence that she doesn't love me. And uh, I mean, she didn't cook for me yesterday. Isn't that proof <laughs> you, you know, that she doesn't love me? Or, you, you know, and, and so you, you realize in the way we know things beyond knowing. Mm. And so what I would say is I think that, that love is probably the, the deepest frequency of human knowledge. And how do I know I love someone? How do I know that they love me? And yet we don't actually eliminate this as a legitimate level of knowing. And what I would say is like human beings are layered in knowledge and facts and data are a very superficial layer of knowing mm. that science only touches a, a very early layer of human knowledge. And that Emotions like like love and hope are actually a deeper layer of human knowing, mm -hmm. and that knowing God is a deeper layer even still. And and so when when you ask how do you know, it would be like me trying to teach you how I know I love my wife, mm -hmm. and I can't translate that to you because you don't love my wife. And but mm -hmm. once you know you're in a relationship with someone and you love them. Now you have a language that correlates because you can relate to love in a way that you couldn't before. Yeah. Mm. Or to put it another way, if you've never been in love, you might think love doesn't exist. Yeah. In yeah. the same way that if you've never come to know God, you might think God doesn't exist. Yeah. I can't convince you there's love until you experience it. Yeah. So speaking about love, what do you love the most about yourself and your story? 
Yeah, it's a it's an odd question. I don't really think about what I love the most about myself, and uh, but um, you know, I, I guess what, if I had to pick something, what I love most about myself is um, one how um, the people around me get better, and I think that's something I actually do like value. And I I always want to be a person that the more in proximity you are to me the more you elevate as a human being, the more you live at a higher potential, the more you live um, out your, your genius, the more you begin to discover um, your capacity, the more you live a more full and meaningful and abundant life. Mm. And, um, and I think, and, and, and I, I love the unpredictability of humans. Mm. And uh, I, I actually think humans are fascinating. And when I travel the world, I love seeing new places, but one of the things that's so intriguing is to realize there's so much genius and creativity and intelligence in people. And, and I just, I, I love experiencing that. Mm. You have this new book, which is out right now. Be able to go and get a copy of the genius of Jesus, the man who changed everything. He literally did. Um, what do you hope for people to get out of this book the most? Yeah, I've written, uh, I think 11 books. And I think this is probably the most important book I've ever written because it is about Jesus. And I was really apprehensive to write a book about Jesus because it's always going to be inadequate and um, you, it can't be comprehensive enough. But John even said if they wrote everything down about Jesus, there would be not enough books in the world to contain it all. And um, so, you know, I'm not trying to contain everything in one book about Jesus, but I do think it's a it's a it's a fresh, new and important perspective on the person of Jesus that has never really been developed uh, in the last 2000 years. I think it'll help people who do believe in Jesus experience the reality of what we call transformation in a way that is real practical and, and essential to their humanity. And I also think it's, um, I wrote this book for people also who don't believe in God. It, it, I think it gives us a way of introducing Jesus to people who would never be open to Jesus, but they're really interested and open to genius. And uh, and it it just creates an entirely new narrative to begin to talk to, to people about Jesus that I think we so desperately need right now. It's well written, so well done for writing this book. It is an important book and I know it's gonna help the lives of so many people. So thank you so much for writing it. Where can people get a copy of it and connect with you, learn more about you before I ask the final question? Well, you're in Australia, so maybe you should tell them where they can get it because I don't know uh, where you can get it in, um, in, in Australia. Everywhere books are sold, literally Booktopia, all those places, Amazon. But for my audience in America, where's the best place for them? Uh, same places, you know, you can, any, any store, uh, you know, I just did a book signing at Barnes and Noble, but you can go to amazon.com, you go to barnesandnoble.com. But I think the best place to go, if you want to not only pick up the book, but everything that's connected to it is go to erwinmcbanis.com. And, uh, and by the way, we have a lot of fun, um, uh, merch that we've created around the theme of the book, but it's a limited run and it'll be gone really soon. So if you want some things, you got to go on there pretty quick. I'll make sure that everyone knows where to get a copy. Erwin, this is my all-time favorite question I ask everyone at the end of my conversations. It's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. 
All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll just call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Well, my grandfather lived to 99 and 11 months, so he basically lived to 100. Yeah, so that's not hard to imagine. Um, that would be a really long film, <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, cause you know, you're trying to cover a hundred years and, uh, I, I don't really want it all covered, I suppose. <laughs> just, just the highlights. I, um, you know, to me, the most interesting part of my life is, uh, the time I spent with my family, um, the, the, the rich moments I have with Mariah, the moments I have with Aaron, moments I have with Kim and now with my daughter's uh, daughter, Juno. And um, I think those are probably going to be the most enjoyable moments. Um, yeah. You, you know, and I, 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 I think that the good thing about the life I've chosen to live is that it is actually interesting. I've traveled across the world. I've been to probably 60, 70 countries. I've been some of those dangerous places in the world. I've walked some of the most violent streets on the planet. I've met people in from every spectrum of life. And, um, and I hope that when they show the film of my life, they realize the world is full of interesting people. I need to get out and meet some of them. It's a perfect send off message. Owen, thank you so much for your time today, your story, your wisdom, your advice. People go and get a copy of The Genius of Jesus, The Man Who Changed Everything, available wherever books are sold. Thank you so much for your time today and for joining me on the Storybox podcast. Hey, thank you so much. Take care. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. 